from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jezebites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I am the one who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the I am has sent me to you. God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. The word of the Lord. Put yourself in Moses' shoes for a moment here. You're walking through the desert, tending to your father-in-law's sheep. It's a hot day, and the sheep are moving slowly, picking their way through craggly bushes and short, stunted trees. You sit down on a large rock to rest your feet and listen to the sound of sheep baying. Then, in the distance, at the base of a looming mountain, you see a long trail of smoke wisping into the sky. You leave the sheep to go investigate, and as you get closer, you see a fire. Perhaps one of the bushes caught flame. You keep moving forward and your vision gets clearer. The fire is burning strong and bright but the bush is totally unharmed. It's so, so strange, you can't process it head on. Do you know the feeling? Instead, you turn aside, 
You do a slow, cautious circle around the bush. Moses, Moses, a voice calls out. You thought you were the only one here. You look around. Moses, seeing nothing, you sheepishly reply, here I am. The voice instructs, do not draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Why? Why take off your sandals? Was it for cleanliness or respect? In the same way we take our shoes off before going to a friend's house, it doesn't make a ton of sense. Moses was, after all, a shepherd in the desert wearing sandals. Cleanliness was not a priority. There's a second possibility. What if God's invitation to Moses was to dig deep, to ground himself, to eliminate any barrier between the creature and the creation, to lift the pretense, to engage intimately with the mysterious God. Maybe at one time or another, you've needed that moment of connection with God. You've needed to stand barefoot on holy ground. You've needed answers or guidance or direction. You've needed a burning bush. It's true that God is with us wherever we go, but it's also true that God's volume in our life can vary. We go through times when we might hear God with some clarity, in prayer or music or in a gut feeling, maybe through the voices of friends or a whispering wind, but there are also times when, try as we might, God feels rather far away. In her book, Traveling Mercies, Anne Lamont tells the story of a particularly challenging season in her life. Now, if you ever read Anne Lamont, you'll know that retelling one of her stories is always going to fall short of the real thing. So if you're looking for a book recommendation, I'd recommend reading this one for yourself. But here's my best attempt at a retelling. When Anne first began coming to church, she was a young single mother and recovering addict. She would sit in the pew with her son, Sam, each Sunday. And each Sunday, an elderly woman named Mary Williamson would quietly press a plastic bag of dimes into Anne's hand. It was truly a widow's might type story. Mary Williams, like Anne, was poor. She wanted to support Anne however she could. As the years went on and Anne gained her footing, she and Mary became good friends. Mary modeled an enduring faithfulness and radical gratitude to Anne. She was a spiritual role model. So fast forward some years. At the age of 86, Mary dies. Anne writes, I think of her many times a day. The baggies of dimes that she gave us still sit on bookshelves all over the house. In her open casket, she looked like a god, napping. But mostly I see her alive smiling at us in the back of the church. I see her praying. I see her face appear in my mind. Mary's death was just one of a series of unfortunate events in Anne's life. 
At the same time, a relationship had ended, a good friend was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and her car broke down. It always seems to happen that these things are grouped together, doesn't it? She recounts lying in bed one morning, unable to get up, when her friend, Nishama, called, let's go on a hike. Anne replied, a hike? In my condition? I can't think of a single thing I feel less like doing. She wrote, but Nishama seems to think I am worthy of tender care even when I'm at my most ridiculous. So I said I would go. An hour later, they were hiking down into a marsh. A brackish tidal channel lined with cattails paralleled their path. It was quiet, only the soft rustling of leaves and an occasional crow or egret. They walked along the path until they reached a thin ribbon of muddy water, and Anne remembered Mary. A few weeks before her death, Mary told the congregation the story of her baptism. Mary was baptized in the Mississippi River on a muddy and hot Louisiana day. She was not yet a teen, but she recounted feeling the riverbank squish around her bare feet before she was submerged in the water and emerged with life anew. Anne and Nishama continued on the path, and the path continued to get muddier and muddier. It's just mud, Anne said to herself. Mary Williams got baptized in it. The mud began to squish around her ankles. She looked over at Nishama, who was also sinking into the mud, reaching back to offer her a hand. The two fell back straight onto the ground. They burst out laughing. Two grown women covered in mud with no more face to save. Anne writes, I was laughing so hard that I felt maniacal and not at all sure that I wasn't about to cry. But I felt like air was bubbling into a place inside me that I hadn't, that hadn't been getting much air lately. This is the most profound spiritual truth I know. That even when we're most sure that love can't conquer all, it seems to anyway. It goes down into the rat hole with us and there it swells and comforts. This is holy ground. Friends, I so wish we could hear God as loudly and clearly as Moses heard God at the burning bush. Faith would be far easier. Hard times would be far more bearable. But in the times that we can't hear with clarity, we are graciously gifted presence. Presence of love, presence of friends, the presence of scripture, and the presence of God. In St. Catherine's Monastery at Mount Sinai, there's an ancient icon. The icon depicts Mary, the mother of God, as the burning bush. Red flames and green branches frame her body as she stares in true iconographic form straight ahead with arms outstretched. The icon was inspired by the work of ancient Greek theologian Gregory of Nyssa, who theologized about the similarities between Mary and Moses. The burning bush was set ablaze with the presence of God, but it did not wither. And Mary brought forth God incarnate, but did not turn to ash. In so many ways, the story of Moses at the burning bush is the gospel story in miniature. God has come down to holy ground to deliver us and bring us into the land of promise.
to stand in the mud with us. And Moses, upon hearing God's call loud and clear to liberate the oppressed and lead the people to a land full of flourishing, responds with doubt. It's a doubt that rings and resonates and echoes in all of our human insecurities. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? I'm not that person. Why me? God responds, I will be with you. Moses asks, who are you? God answers, I am who I am. This is the divine name, God's name for God's self. In the Jewish tradition, the name is written YHWH, and it's never spoken aloud. This name, like the burning bush, both reveals something about God and hides something about God. I am who I am. Or as many translators and Bible scholars prefer to translate, I will be who I will be. In the moments when God feels close, and in the moments when God feels far away, in the face of our sorrows and our doubts and our grief, when we cry out to God, when we ask, why me? Or when we whisper, here I am, Lord, we are met with two profound truths. God says, I will be with you. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I will be God for the people forever. And I will be with you. Amen.